In October 2017, a phrase took social media by storm, allowing many women who had been oppressed, sexually assaulted, and never listened to, to speak up. The phrase, Me Too, not only became a battle cry for those who had been sexually assaulted by Harvey Weinstein over decades in Hollywood, it started a much-needed discussion about sexism in general. Why were women getting paid less than men for the same job? Why do we continue to allow quote-unquote locker room talk? How can we as a society create a world built more on equality than patriarchy? And could something I love, like animation, have such a background of misogyny? Wondering how we can change things? Me too. My name's Josh Taylor, and you're listening to my podcast, Modern Mouse. A look at the less magical side of life through the most magical lens I know, the Walt Disney Company. In this episode, we'll look at Disney Animation's past with sexism, how they're trying to change that past, why the entertainment industry should be a key figure in our mission of gender equality, and if there's even a future without gender at all, or if we as a society are doomed to always discriminate based on the bodies we're born with. I'm Alex Leonis. I work at Mercury Filmworks in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada, and I've worked on a lot of different projects over the years. I've worked on some Disney stuff and some Netflix stuff, and it's been um, it's been a, a really fun ride. Alex is an animator and a friend of mine who recently worked on Tangled the Animated Series. Her work environment in animation is a pretty pleasant one, but she recognizes that it wasn't always that way. I know that a lot of women have paved the way for us to have it easier because I do remember a time when, before I started school that I had been told from some people who'd been in the industry for a long time some pretty scary stories of what it was like maybe 30 years ago even, 25 years ago. Um, and so I was a little worried going into school especially, but I've had nothing but great experiences working in the industry and I've never felt like my gender has been subject of like not being included or not having my voice heard. It might be easy to look at Alex's experience and say that we tackled gender equality. We solved the problem, but her experience isn't everyone else's experience. Hi, I'm Kristen Lester and I'm the writer director of Pearl, one of the first shorts from Pixar's Spark Shorts program. Pearl is an animated short featuring a small ball of yarn who's starting her first day at a new job. She finds herself being ignored and seen as lesser than because she's different. And you could apply this to any type of bias, but the short is based on Kristen Lester's real experience in the animation business. Well, it's based on <laughs> my experience being in animation. My first job, I was like the only woman in the room. And so in order to do the thing that I loved, I sort of became one of the guys. And then I came to Pixar and I started to work on teams with women for the first time. 
And that actually made me realize how much of the female aspect of myself I had sort of buried and left behind. And then anytime I pitched the idea of a ball of yarn tries to get a job, people were like, that is totally nuts. <laughs> I totally want to see that. Obviously, going into gender studies throughout human history isn't something we could do in a single podcast episode. And I'm definitely not the one equipped to do an entire series on that kind of topic. But for this episode, I do want to go back in history just a little bit. I want to talk about the early days of Disney animation. Bianca Majoli was hired in 1935 and was the first woman to join the all-male story team at Disney Animation. She would start to translate the story of Pinocchio from Italian to English, taking the tale about a naughty, murderous puppet boy and infusing it instead with a deeper meaning of what it means to be human in a world where you're seen as different. Of course, she wasn't the only person that worked on Pinocchio, but it would be an injustice to look at her addition to the team and not see the care and compassion that she added to the story. In 1941, Walt Disney would hold a staff meeting, stating the girl artists have the right, the right to, to expect the same chances for advancement as men, and I honestly believe that they may eventually contribute something to this business that men never would or could. These were words of serious progress in the 1940s. Most places wouldn't even think of hiring a woman, and the other animation studios in Hollywood would only hire women to work in the ink and paint department, citing that their hands were small and dainty enough for that kind of precision work. And though Walt Disney talked a big game, and did have some women on his staff, the overwhelming majority was still male, and any woman looking to apply for a job would be met with a rejection letter from the studio stating that women did not do any of the creative work at the Walt Disney Company. For Bianca Majoli, she was seen as a black sheep in the story department, and was heavily criticized and ridiculed during her time there. Her employment would abruptly come to an end after five years, when she came back from vacation to find her desk had been cleared off. Nobody gave her a notice that she was getting fired, and she never was given a reason as to why. You definitely have to prove yourself a little bit more maybe than men. Um, when I had first gotten to New York, I was self-producing a play I had written called Princess Don't Live in Cyberland. Fast forward to the present. I caught up with an old friend that I admire, Erica Jenko. She moved to New York City to be a playwright and producer on Broadway. She wanted to live out her dream, but found that misogyny would try and stop her. It has a very silly title that I would have to push extra hard on people. Uh, it's a, it was basically an autobiographical play about my uh, three generations of women in my family. So it was about myself, my mom, and my grandmother and our relationships and how I had learned from those relationships um, to learn more about love and how I was finding it in my dating life. So it had this very deep meaning, but I remember there was a middle-aged white man, theater investor I had had a conversation with trying to pitch the show to him. And he kept telling me, he just wasn't taking me seriously. He kept saying like, there's a lot of girls <laughs> in New York who are producing the same show. He was basically saying your show isn't unique. 
there's a ton of this type of show. And, and I had to keep pushing and saying, no, this isn't, this isn't just a dating show. Like there's all these different levels to it. It's about something completely different. And I feel like after that conversation happened, I started, and I don't even think it was him calling me this, but I started calling myself a vanity project. And I started thinking maybe what I'm putting out there is silly. And when I think about that in hindsight, that is ridiculous because like, I really love Lin-Manuel Miranda and no one calls him a vanity project, even though like when he went to NYU, he had written the musical In the Heights then. And he was hustling around town, like trying to workshop that show all over the state of New York and casting it and creating this vehicle for himself. And I'm sure he had a ton of challenges being a self-producing artist in New York, but he's now a success and not an overnight success. He had worked for it. So it's just kind of the differences. And I sometimes think about that and wonder, did he experience some of the same challenges that I had or are his circumstances totally different than mine? Being called a vanity project is definitely a way to discredit someone. And without Erica telling me, it was clear that being told that or thinking of herself as that caused her confidence to drop. It's a way to control others, and men have used tactics like this for centuries, creating fictitious ideology and societal roles that women have to portray. And stepping outside of that box with confidence means that they need to be pushed back into the box. But Erica is not the kind of person to just be pushed back in the box. I think of when I used to work at this Broadway theater called Circle in the Square, and they were producing the Broadway musical Fun Home. And Fun Home was extraordinary because uh, Janine Tesori and Lisa Cron, they were basically the female creative writing team for the show. It was the composer and the lyricist and the book writer, they made history as the first all-female writing team to win the Tony. And when I was working at the theater, I had met the composer, Janine Tesori, and I was basically, I was a porter at the theater, which is basically a janitor. And she had sat down with me one day and she was like, what's your name? What do you do? And I was like, well, I'm Erica. And I was really confused because I was like, she knows what I do here. She sees me you know, cleaning all day. Um, and I said, oh, I'm Erica, I'm the porter. And she was like, oh, no, I, I know that. But she said, but what do you do? And I thought to myself, this is going to sound really stupid, but screw it. She asked, I'm going to say it. And I was like, well, I'm a playwright. And she was like, that's so great. What kind of stuff do you write? And we had this really great conversation. And at the end, she just kind of said something that really resonated with me even today. And she was like, when people ask what you do, she said, own it. It's It's so important to own it. And I'm happy I have a role model like her. And she does a lot of great work working with little girls and giving them role models. And I feel like in general, that's just what we need are more female role models, more of helping each other. Um, and most importantly, working with men. We really need to be a team to continue to enforce change. Erica's story continues on, and she's since moved to Chicago, running the Rabbit Hole Society, which puts on seasonal shows, and she's their playwright, producer, and director. Her ideas about women and men helping each other got me back to thinking about Disney and Pixar in recent years. There's been a larger adaptation of women writing stories or men and women helping each other to write some of the major stories coming out of those studios. 
Beyond Frozen, the biggest financial success in Disney history, we've also seen stories like Brave, Wreck-It Ralph, Inside Out, and Moana. I was wondering what had changed at the Disney company that had made these films such a success. I was digging through some interviews online and found this gem from now Disney Chief Creative Officer Jennifer Lee talking about the character of Anna in Frozen. One of the best collaborations we had was working with Kristen Bell. Um, Anna is Anna in a large part because of her. Um, we wanted to do a girl who was feisty and different and very, very relatable. Um, and Kristen really wanted to push that and, and, and to, to do a Disney heroine that is a lot like her and us, like some of us who weren't so graceful and who maybe talked too fast. And, and, um, and we loved that. And the thing that she didn't realize uh, we were gonna go crazy about and, and want so much is she's very funny. Mm -hmm. uh, Kristen is wonderfully funny and now and Anna's funny because of her. And so we, we really, that was really great. Anna is the tip of the iceberg, but with less gender inequality at Disney, they've managed to create relatable male and female characters. If you think about Disney's princesses, they all share similar qualities. They're serious, soft-spoken, kind-hearted, and there's nothing wrong with those qualities. But after decades of seeing female characters act nearly identical, it's refreshing to see varying personalities on screen, which encourage girls to be unique unto themselves, rather than perpetuating the female societal norms of centuries past. I'm not saying that Disney as a company is perfect by any means, but they've grown and have been able to give women a voice and even made a major step when they offered Jennifer Lee the chief creative officer position, replacing John Lasseter after he was let go due to allegations of unprofessional conduct with women at work. According to The Hollywood Reporter who broke this story, Lassiter was well known by insiders for grabbing, kissing, and making comments about women's physical attributes. Women would use a move they called the Lassiter, holding their arm across their thigh to prevent their boss from putting his hand on their legs. Testimonies from colleagues describe long, unwanted hugs where Lassiter would whisper in their ears. Animation is a small part of the entertainment industry as a whole, but it's a large part of children's entertainment. Animation gives us characters that become our role models. And as we grow up and into other forms of entertainment, we continue to look for those people who share our beliefs. At an award show in 2018, Actress Brie Larson, who was then set to portray superhero Captain Marvel in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, stood up for something she believed in and gave a speech about inequality in the media. So earlier this week, USC Annenberg's Inclusive Initiative released findings that 67% of the top critics reviewing the 100 highest grossing movies in 2017 were white males. Less than a quarter were white women and less than 10% were unrepresented men. Only 2.5% of those top critics were women of color. So you're probably thinking right now like, wow, that super doesn't represent the country that I live in and that's because that's true. This is a huge disconnect from the US population breakdown of 30% white men, 30% white women, 20% men of color, and 20% women of color. 
Am I saying that I hate white dudes? No, I'm not. But what I am saying is, is that if you make a movie that is a love letter to women of color, there is an insanely low chance a woman of color will have the chance to see your movie and review your movie. The backlash she got for this statement was incredible. And I'm sure it wouldn't surprise you to hear that a majority of the criticism came from white males, like conservative political commentator and media personality Ben Shapiro. And this is how you end up with the ridiculous spectacle, the ridiculous, insane spectacle of Brie Larson, an actress who does not know things, speaking at the Women in Film Festival about her new movie, Captain Marvel. Now, the, the execs over at Disney have just got to be beside themselves because it turns out that a lot of the people who like to go watch comic book movies are young men. And Captain Marvel was already a little bit outside the box in the sense that it is a female superhero. Now, young men will go see a female superhero. They will. Wonder Woman made a boatload of money at the office, at the box office. But Brie Larson suggests that America is a sexist, bigoted, terrible, homophobic place. And then she goes even further. She says that she doesn't care if white people go to see her movies because she's not going to take criticism from white people. Brie Larson pointed out the lack of representation among film critics and hoped to see a day where more women and people of color would get a chance to have their voices heard. I'm not sure what your takeaway was, but mine is that the criticism she took was based on misinterpretation or even worse, a way to discredit her, like in Shapiro's own words, because she's a female actor who doesn't know anything. As someone who has mildly been a part of the film critic scene, I wanted to reach out to a fellow critic who just happens to be female and ask her about the representation within that scene. Uh, my name is Shannon McGrew. I am the founder and editor-in-chief of Nightmarish Conjurings. Shannon has been reviewing movies for years and has made her way into some major places, including being a Rotten Tomatoes-approved critic, which is a feat that sounds harder than you'd probably think, and she's now part of the Hollywood Critics Association. You know, I think that there are certain movies that come out that beg the uh, the opinion of a woman as opposed to a man. Uh, upcoming movie that I have not seen yet would be Promising Young Woman. There was a lot of men that reviewed it for Sundance and very few women. Uh, so I think when it's dealing with assault on women, it might be better if it's a, a woman's perspective. I asked her if she felt if there was any gender bias toward her, and if the vocal group that had attacked Brie Larson had also pushed back against her work as a film critic. And it's, it's really bizarre. Uh, last year, I wrote a review for Terminator Dark Fate, and it was the first time I ever experienced like internet hate to that extreme, where it was just hundreds and hundreds of messages from men who were furious that... This was a female-centric film, but that I, as a woman, thought it was the best Terminator movie. I think a lot of people will say, like, yeah, we're all for for more diversity in filmmaking and in the entertainment industry and critics and all that stuff. But when you see that kind of unfold, people feel like they can really say what it is that they truly believe. 
and it comes out as this hate of like epic proportions and I I want to believe that it's eventually going to die down but I don't know if it ever will I think that there's always going to be that minority of people that just don't want to see the success of women for some reason Beyond being an animator, Alex Leonis is a big fan of Star Wars, and has seen that fandom change over the last few years, with more women becoming fans of what was once considered a boys-only club. She makes a really good point about why we as a society still need female leaders and female role models within the entertainment industry. I'd like to see us get there. I think that their leadership decisions like start putting more women in those opportunities. It's not that there's men that aren't actually capable of make, doing the things, like directing, but the women are just not getting those opportunities. And, and as fans, we want to see those women get opportunities so we know that we have a place here. I asked Alex one final question. In her opinion, how long would it be until we saw true equality in the entertainment industry and in the world as a whole? A long time, I think. I think it's going to take a really long time to get to equality in, in the industry. I, I don't know if it's going to change anytime soon. I think that the industry is so hardwired right now, especially in leadership roles. It's it's pretty oppressive right now, so I really, really want it to change, but it's, it's, I just don't see that light at the end of the tunnel yet. I know that sometimes the world seems dark and bleak and hopeless. Sexism, it still exists, and it happens thousands of times a day to women all around the world. And let's not forget that those who identify their gender outside of the norm, they also continue to feel lesser than because of the hate they receive. True gender equality might be a long way out, but now isn't the time to lose hope. To my female listeners, I know that I'm not the person to tell you how to feel, but I hope that the women who helped create this podcast episode with me were inspiring and helped you feel like you weren't alone in your aspirations or the inequality that you feel and that they gave light to the success you can achieve by not allowing those who still believe in outdated societal standards to get inside your head. For my fellow men, whatever you consider yourself, conservative, progressive, ally, father, son, whatever it is, Take a moment to reflect on who you are and who you've been. Learn from any time you've ever been a part of societal patriarchy, whether it was on purpose or not. And listen to the women in your life. Truly listen to their stories of feeling oppressed, simply due to the bodies that they're born with. It's in that listening and understanding that we can do our small part in bringing true equality into reality.
Before ending this episode, I want to give a shout out to the people that participated, including Alex Leonis. You can find her on Twitter at Alex Leonis. That's A L E X L E O N I S. Uh, check out her artwork and check out some of the things that she's doing. And if you have Disney Plus, you should be watching Tangled the Animated Series. She worked really hard on it. Uh, also, thanks to Erica Janko. You can find out more about what she's working on at ericajanko.com. And if you're interested in supporting some of the projects that she's working on, you can do so through her website. And Shannon McGrew, thanks to her for also uh, being generous enough to interview for this episode. You can check out her reviews and articles up at nightmarishconjurings.com. If you're in the world of horror, whether that's books, films, television, uh, that is a great place to go. I even write articles there from time to time, so check it out. I recommend it. And if you're interested in helping support Modern Mouse, you can over at our Patreon page, which is connected to patreon.com slash network1901. Modern Mouse is a Network 1901 podcast. On Patreon, I'm doing extra videos and extra uh, little podcast tidbits here and there. So come support the podcast. It really does help keep the lights on. Leave a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to the podcast if it allows reviews. And thank you for listening. In the meantime, keep on moving, people. <laughs>